Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, just a little PSA, public service announcement. Tomorrow is what? Tax day, right? I don't know if any of you heard about the new uh, simplified tax form that has come out. It's only four lines. First line asks, what was your income in 2022? Second, what were your total expenses? Number three, what do you have left? And last thing is it, send it in. That is the new simplified tax form. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about, are you ready? Are you ready? We're all familiar with losing a loved one. Amen. Some more recent than others, but we've all experienced such a loss. Now, this morning, I want to read a passage of scripture to you. And as I read that scripture to you, I just want you to listen. Just listen to it. And as you listen, I want you to picture in your mind a loved one that has gone on to be with the Lord. Amen? They died in Christ, so their soul, their spirit, is with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but their body still awaits the resurrection. Amen? It's a wonderful thought for us as believers to think of our loved ones who have gone on before us to be with the Lord. Now, with that thought, I also want you to picture in your mind the many who are not saved today. The many who are not ready. Amen? I'm going to start reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have died, those who sleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, shall be raptured with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you ready? So the return of Christ never fails to stir up mixed emotions. Amen? For those who are ready, those who are born again, those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have a peace, we have a, we have a comfort about Christ's return, don't we? We actually have a righteous anticipation, you know, a longing for his return. Then you have those who are not ready, those who are unsaved, those who are undone apart from Jesus Christ. For them... They're just full of anxiety. 
and full of fear when we talk about Christ's return. And for the others, those who just choose not to believe that Jesus is coming again, well, they're just confused and living in straight denial, plain and simple. One thing is certain. No one, not one person on the face of this earth can remain neutral on this subject. Amen. Now, a distinct line is, is certainly drawn in the sand. For the believer who's ready, we view it like, you know, United Airlines. We're ready to fly the friendly skies with our Lord. Amen. Plain and simple. But for the unbeliever, the ones who are not ready, they kind of view it like, you know, a collection, collections agency. If you no, ignore them long enough, they'll go away, right? Do they ever? Problem is that doesn't work, amen? It never works. Why? Because your debt is still there. And the same is true when we're talking about Jesus Christ. If we are unsaved, if Jesus Christ is not our Savior, then our sin debt is still there. Our sins have not been dealt with, amen? We can ignore Christ all we want, but our sins, our sin debt is still there and must be dealt with, plain and simple. Now, I want to make a, a quick note here as we're talking about Bible prophecy. And this, this message is actually going to go over a couple weeks. But as we're talking about Bible prophecy, we have to stay balanced as a believer. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, we have to stay balanced. Too many want to you know, gravitate to one of two extremes. Let me give you an example of, of the prophecy that we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus' return. Okay, so we're thinking about Jesus' return, the prophecies that the Bible has thousands of. On the far left, you have the fanatics. Amen? They are the ones that overreact to prophecy. This comes from a, a lack of interest in the here and now. When you boil it down, when you, when you get to the nitty-gritty of it, the fanatics that go too far to the left, they do that because they have a lack of interest in the here and now. Instead, they're consumed with the then and there. That's all they want to talk about is prophecy, prophecy, future, future, and they miss what's going on here and now. What's right in front of them. Many quit their jobs. I've seen many sell their homes under the impression that Jesus is coming any minute and he will set them free. Amen. That is partly true. Jesus can come at any minute. But they're missing the here and now, what's right in front of them. They ignore today's commitments because they're too caught up in the tomorrow of God's prophetic plan. This is not a biblical view of prophecy. We have to understand that. That is not God's intention for us. As much as I love the Lord, 
And as much as I believe in his return at any moment, I believe his very word. I know that God's desire, his will for me, is to live out the life that he has put before me each and every day. That is his will and his desire, not just for me, but for every single believer. He has given me and he has given you a purpose. He has given us a, a responsibilities that need to be taken care of in the here and now. When the Bible says for us to wait upon the Lord, he's not talking about just sell everything off and, and sit and twiddle our fingers and just wait for the Lord to come. That wait is more like a waiter and a waitress, amen? Serving one another until Christ comes. That's the real purpose when he says that we are to wait upon the Lord. So that's the far left. Now on the far right, you have the apathetics. So the far left, you have the fanatics. Then on the far right, you have the apathetics. They're indifferent to Bible prophecy. They have little interest on the subject. Those are the ones that tend not to get involved in outreach. They tend not to get involved in evangelism. They have no sense of urgency concerning the imminent return of Christ and the impact that it will have upon those who are unsaved. Great Christian writer C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he wrote. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. In other words, what C.S. Lewis was trying to say is if you aim at heaven, you'll get this world thrown in. Amen? But if you aim at this world, you'll get neither. Amen? You'll get neither. We cannot afford to be unsure. We cannot afford to be unclear when we're talking about Jesus' return. And that's the very purpose of this series of messages. Jesus is coming, and he is coming soon. He can return at any moment. And the bottom line is that we need to be ready. Amen? Need to be ready. And that means we have to be balanced on the truth. Have to be balanced. Informed. We need to be aware. We need to be knowing it can occur at any moment. Yet living our life with purpose, with responsibilities as if it won't occur for another hundred years. That's how God intends for us to live. Understanding that Christ can come at any moment, but we have to live and plan and work as if it's a hundred years away. That's the balance that we have to have as a true born-again believer. 
Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to skip down to verse 16. The Apostle Peter gives us some, some really, really good insight. He said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain, that was the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. So here Peter's proclaiming to us, he's saying, look, I've seen Christ. I've seen him firsthand. I've heard him teach. I've heard the Father's voice come down from heaven. He said, I've seen it. I've heard it. I've witnessed it. We have the sure word of truth. And you would do well to listen up. You would do well to pay attention. Skip to 2 Peter chapter 3. Skip down to verse 3. Peter continues, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I don't know about you, but the more you witness and you talk to people, you, you know, you try to you show them the love of Christ. You try to, um, 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 you know, expound on God's word with them and, and you try to lead them to Christ. We hear this argument from the unbelieving world all the time. Ah, you Christians, you're, you're constantly saying that, that Christ is coming back. Well, where is he? You've been saying this for years. Where is he at? This world will just continue to evolve just as it has since the Big Bang Theory. That's, that's kind of the response they give you. Amen? But Peter replies, you're mistaken. Look what you're forgetting. Look at verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God... The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. God has and always will be active in our history. Amen? In our present and in our future. Plain and simple. They overlook all the times that God has intervened in our past. They forgot when, when God stepped in and brought about the great flood during Noah's time that covered the entire earth. 
They overlooked that. The Bible says God is saying here that they are willfully ignorant. That means they choose to forget. They choose to ignore the past. They choose to ignore God's intervention in our history. They purposely ignore it, and they purposely doubt it. Then Peter declares here, he says, this is what God has done. This is our history. This is what God has done. He says, now listen to what God is going to do. Skip down to verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, he's talking about the present, which are now preserved by the same word. Who is the word that's preserving us right now? We have the written word and we also have what? The living word, Jesus Christ. Jesus is that word that's preserving us now. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the glue of the galaxies. Amen. He is the one holding all things together. And that's exactly what the Bible is talking about here in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved. Now we're talking about future. Today, right here and now, Christ is holding all things together. He's preserving it. But it is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many does God want perish? None. How many does he want to come to repentance? All. And We know what all means, right? Plain and simple, this is God's desire for every single one of us. Now look at verse 10. But, so we see God's desire for us, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Meaning that no one knows the day, the time, the hour. Amen? Only the Father. Jesus said only the Father in heaven knows. No one knows. So the day of the Lord will come. Underline that, it will come, and it's going to come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be what? Burned up. Listen. We see a lot on the news today talking about global warming. Global warming is true, but we're reading about it right here. Amen? God has told us that he is going to purge the earth. This goes back to the Old Testament. You think of the refiner's fire. What was the refiner's fire for? It was to purge what? Precious metals. Amen? When they put gold into the refiner's fire, they heated it up with exceeding great heat so that it melted. And all the impurities that were in the gold would do what? 
it would rise to the surface and they would just skim off all the impurities and what was left? Just pure gold. Christ. That's exactly what He did for us on Calvary's cross. His precious blood purifies us. We put on His righteousness. In Him, all that's left in us is purified gold. Praise God for that. How does God deal with sin? He purges it. And because this creation, not just mankind, but what did God tell us in the book of Genesis? That all creation was affected by sin, wasn't it? The ground was cursed. So God has to deal with all sin. And that's what he's talking about here. This earth will be purged. Why? Because it has a disease and it's called sin. And this is our future. This is what is reserved for this earth. Verse 10, when we see that, we read it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That verse is quite clear. That verse is very specific. And we need to understand that verse is sure. Amen. He said the day of the Lord will come. Now we also need to understand that God's word is also very personal. Amen. This book, this is God's very word, but it's also very personal, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I get pretty possessive of my Bible because it's personal. Go back to verse 9 real quick. Look at verse 9, and I want you to read that to yourself. Read that in your mind and replace the word any and all with the word I or your full name. You see it? God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that I should perish, but that I should come to repentance. That is God's desire for every single one of us. This is a very personable book. That's God's heart's desire for you and for me, for all of us, plain and simple. Now, let me give you some biblical facts as to why we need to pay close attention to Christ's return. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible make reference to Jesus' return or the end times. One out of every 30 verses. That's pretty heavy-weighted, isn't it? In the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to Christ's second coming. Not Bethlehem. Just to his second coming, his return. 318 references in 260 chapters. More references than there are chapters. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, 
23 of those 27 books deal with the subject of Christ's return. Only four don't. 23 of 27 books deal with Christ's return. In the Old Testament, at least 17 books mention Christ's return. Writers like Job. Now, Job is probably the earliest recorded book in all the Bible. Job lived even before Moses. You have have writers like Job, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel. They all wrote about the future coming of Christ. Those are the major prophets. Then you look at the 12 minor prophets, and just about all of them mention Christ's second coming. In all, there is well over 1,800, over 1,800 references in the Bible about Jesus' second coming. Let me be honest. If God mentions one thing in his word, it's important, amen? If he mentions it over 1,800 times, we better uh, pay close attention. Jesus himself often talked about his return. So the bottom line is God's word teaches it. Jesus himself declared it. All the apostles, all the prophets received special revelations of it. It has been anticipated. It has been a valued truth for over 2,000 years. But today... It's mocked, and it's ignored. We have lost our balance when it comes to the Lord's return in this generation. You know, we talked about the fanatics, but this generation, it's filled with the apathetics. They don't care. They ignore it. This generation is the scoffer of the last days, what we read about. In verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. That is this generation. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to what is sure and what is true. And that is God's word. The standard of truth. You know, whenever I have the privilege to preside over a funeral service of a born-again believer that has gone on to be with the Lord, I can't help but think back upon the verses that I read in our original text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is a glorious promise. Amen. You know, many people have wondered about that and asked, why why do the dead rise first? It's pretty simple. They got six more feet to go than we do. Amen. That's an easy one. Then verse 17, 
then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, shall be raptured together with them. Who's them? The dead in Christ. Amen? They're going to, be, they're going to rise first, and then we're going to be raptured with them, the Bible says, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That is an exceptionally wonderful promise. What a glorious homecoming that's going to be. The sweet return of our precious Lord and Savior. When you hear that, how do you see it? Think about that. How you see it depends on your relationship with Christ. Doesn't it? If you've placed your faith and all your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is a sweet and comforting anticipation. Knowing that Christ is going to come back and, and carry me home one day, one day soon. But if not, if Christ is not your Savior, you're still in your sins. You're lost and undone. When you hear about Christ coming again and coming soon, it's an anxiety-filled, fearful dread that overcomes you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect? What does that mean if we neglect? Is that a mistake? That means we what? We willfully, we purposely neglect Jesus Christ. That means we just flat ignore him and his return. Many people, when you talk to them, say, well, I'm, I'm just not ready yet. They've made a decision right then and there, haven't they? They've made a decision to purposely neglect Jesus Christ. Willful choice. But we need to understand that that choice is ours to make. We've already looked at what God's will is for us, what his heart's desire. His will and his heart's desire is for all of us to come to repentance. And he's done all the work for our redemption. He has made the way for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus made that way on Calvary's cross. And we need to understand that Jesus is coming again, and he's coming very soon. But the question is, are you ready? 